0: Chapter One of My Actor Husband. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. My Actor Husband by Anonymous. Chapter One. It was our first separation. All day I had fought back the tears while I helped Will pack his tailor trunk. Neither of us spoke. Once in every little while, Will would stop in the act of folding a garment and smile at me in approval. Then his arm would steal around my shoulders and he would pat me tenderly. I would turn away, pretending to busy myself with other things, but in reality to hide the freshet of tears his silent expression of sympathy had undammed. Will had signed with a star to play Shakespearean repertoire. The question of wardrobe was a source of worry, until I volunteered my services. I was a good needlewoman, and, from the sketches Will made, I was able to qualify as a full-fledged costumier. For days I had pegged away, refurbishing the old and making new ones, and sometimes Will would lend a hand and run the machine over the thick seams. I once read that the women of the commune wove the initials of those they hated into their knitting, while I sewed the seams of Will's dresses thick with love and hope and ambition, and dampened them with tears. Then when the expressman came for the trunk, it seemed as if they were taking away a coffin. Not until that night— after we had gone to bed, and I felt Will's deep, rhythmical breathing beneath my head, which lay pressed against his breast, only then did I give way to my grief. I crept to the other side of the bed and turned my face to the wall. I shook with convulsive sobs. Now and then Will would half waken, and would reach out and dreamily pat my face and smooth back my hair, as one soothes a sorrowing child. At such times I would hold my breath and wait until he was again quiet every incident of our short married life passed in review before my burning eyes. We had closed our season late in April, and had come back to New York with less than seventy-five dollars between us. But what we lacked in money was more than balanced by our enthusiasm and illusion—the illusion of two young persons very much in love with each other. I had been in New York only once before, and the thought of living in the great city, of becoming an integral part of it, made me thrill with excitement. Will and I stood on the front of the ferryboat and watched the panorama. He pointed out the various tall buildings with an air of familiarity. When we passed close to a great ocean liner, which was being swung into her dock by two fussy little tugboats, even Will got excited. He told me which was fore and aft and named various other parts of the boat which I didn't understand. When we had taken our last look he tucked my hand under his arm and told me that one day he and I should take a trip abroad. Owing to the shortage in our money supply, we had decided to go to a theatrical boarding-house. Will was depending on his father to send him an allowance throughout the summer, and while it would be sufficient for his needs, now that he was married, well, we should have a chance to test the saying that two can live as cheaply as one. Our marriage had been a secret one. Besides the star and one or two members of the company, we had taken no one into our confidence. Will's family—his father, a sister and brother his mother having died about the time I came into his life—all were intolerant of the stage and its people. Though I was not yet a really truly actress, the fact that Will had met me in the profession would have prejudiced them against me. Added to this was the fact that Will, himself a Tyro, taking a wife at the very threshold of his career would not be looked at through our love-coloured glasses. The effect my marriage might have upon my own relatives never troubled me My father and mother belonged to that great class of incompetent parenthood which brings children into the world without any actual love for them. Never questioning their fitness for child-rearing, they divine no greater responsibility than providing bodily necessities and a more or less superficial education. When, at the restless age of sixteen, I announced my determination to become an actress, there was some surface opposition. But no effort was made to inquire into my fitness for the dramatic profession or the fitness of the dramatic profession as a career for any innocent and unprotected young girl. I had been highly successful as an amateur, and as it was not necessary that I earn my own living, the stage appeared to their insapient minds an interesting playground for a dilettante daughter. One week in a theatrical boarding-house was all we could endure. I wonder why it is that the rank and file of the theatrical profession are at such pains to impress one another with their importance the flippant familiarity with which they referred to Charlie or Dan Froman, the coarse criticism of their fellow-actors, which Will called knocking, their easy disregard of the conventions, especially between the sexes, a bombastic retailing of their own exploits, as how I jumped on and saved the show with only one rehearsal, talking shop to the exclusion of every other subject in the world. I overheard one of the actresses at the next table say we were very upstage, which Will interpreted as not sociable and having too good an opinion of oneself. Neither of us was happy in our new surroundings, and I felt a sense of relief when Will suggested that we look for a furnished flat. I did not mean to be critical of my husband's profession. I endeavoured to agree with him that every profession has its undesirables." We spent days in climbing narrow stairs to look at dark, closet-like apertures with no ventilation. Even the strength-sapping humidity of the streets seemed fresh in comparison. At last we found something less undesirable than the others. The building was new, and the apartment in the rear gave upon a row of private houses with small yards. There were flowers and a few trees, little oases in a desert of brick and mortar. The janitor told us there were three rooms— The bedroom was an alcove affair, divided from the parlour by pea-green portieres. The kitchen beyond was as large as the pantry in our house at home—and the furnishings. The whole outfit might have been removed from a Seventh Avenue show-window, where they advertise "'Complete furnished apartment for forty-nine ninety-nine. The near-gold-leaf chairs were so frail that one was afraid to sit upon them. The general atmosphere of the parlour reminded me of the stage settings one comes across in one-night stand theatres. However, the vistas of the trees and flowers decided the momentous question. We paid a month's rent then and there. It made a terrible hole in our last and only fifty-dollar bill, but neither of us worried much about it. For the next week the show business was relegated to the background. We played house like two children, we arranged and rearranged the furniture, and Will made a comfortable divan from two packing-cases. We went out to market on Ninth Avenue and Will carried the basket on his arm. Then we tried our hand at cooking. Will carried off the honors for coffee, and hard-boiled eggs. I washed and Will dried the dishes. I can see him now, with an apron tied high under his arm, declaiming Shakespeare and juggling with the landlord's dishes. Our greatest problem was the lack of bathing facilities. We solved it by bathing in the wash-tubs. To be sure it was a bit hazardous standing on a sloping bottom, in danger of falling out of the kitchen window if one leaned too much to the right— or of toppling over to the floor if veering a bit too much to the left. But it was a bath, and, as Will said, preferable to the communal affair in the boarding-house. The summer passed all too quickly. Those were happy, happy days. Sometimes the money market was tight—very tight—especially when Will's father was careless about sending Will's allowance. I cried bitterly the first time Will went to a pawn shop. It seemed so humiliating to have him do it, "'Will laughed, and said he regarded it as so much experience. "'Several times a week we donned our best clothes and made the rounds of the theatrical employment agencies. Will had had several offers during the summer, but we wanted a joint engagement. We had promised each other, when we married, that nothing should cause us to be separated. Will and I felt that to the enforced separation of married persons—the husband in one company, the wife in another—was due the great number of divorces in the theatrical profession.' Our star, when apprised of our marriage, had followed his good wishes and congratulations with a heart-to-heart talk with Will. "'It's all right, my boy,' he said. "'Don't blame you a bit. She's a charming girl, and you're in love with her. If it were any other business but the show business, I'd say you're a lucky dog. But—' I'm going to be frank with you. A man or a woman in the theatrical business has no right to marry. It's all very lovely so long as you're together, but you can't be together. The chances are against it you may be lucky enough to get a joint engagement one season but the next season you're off on the road while she's playing in new york or in another part of the country and what does this separation lead to in the end you're a human being you crave society companionship gradually you become weaned away and the inevitable happens it's propinquity and home ties which make marriage a success the life of an actor precludes domesticity the very exigencies of his profession are not only inconsistent with, but hostile to, the institution of marriage. When Will retailed all this to me, it sounded very big and very dreadful, and also very vague. Any danger from separation seemed in the far distant future. We agreed that a man and wife who permitted themselves to become estranged because of temporary separations knew nothing of real love—such love as ours, at any rate And now, with the summer going on apace and no joint engagement in sight, the fear assumed a tangible shape, the dread of separation hung over me like a pall. Will tried to reassure me by saying it was still early and that we would hold out. I believed what he said with a childlike faith. Indeed, I am not so sure that in these days I did not worship Will with the same idolatry that I offered up to the Virgin Mary. The whole world had merged into one being—my husband. My love for my husband was the absorbing passion of my life. Never happy in my home—my father had married a second wife—all the pent-up tenderness and passionate love found an outlet in my marriage. I sometimes wondered what had become of my ambition. This, too, had centered upon him. To be sure I meant to succeed as an actress, but I now thought of success only in the light of an assistance to him. It was already settled between us that I should be his leading lady, once he became a star there should be no separations in our life. The weeks flew by. The summer waned. Will became less reassuring. He took on a worried look. I began to awaken of mornings with a sickening, intangible apprehension. After a while I stopped going to the agencies. It seemed so futile. And then, one day, late in the summer, when the theaters along Broadway had begun to remove the signboards from their entrances, it came. I knew something had happened when Will opened the door— Instead of kissing me at once, as was his habit, he passed on to the bedroom without looking at me, saying, Hello, girlie. There was always something infinitely tender in the way he said these words, but today there was a new note in his voice. It took a long time to put away his hat and cane. Then he came out and kissed me. I was peeling potatoes. He drew up a chair so that our knees met. Then he laid a hand on each shoulder and his fingers gripped me. We looked into each other's eyes. After a while I managed to say, "'Well, dear?' And when he replied his voice seemed far away. I had the sense of returning consciousness after a blow. I suppose I was a little dazed. "'Well, dear, I've signed with—' He named a boy Hamlet, well known throughout the Middle West. "'The salary's good, and I'll play the king in Hamlet, Buckingham and Richard, and if we do the merchant I'll be cast for Gratiano. The best thing about it is the possibility of coming into New York for a run.' The star wants to play Hamlet on Broadway, and I've been told he's got good backing. So, little girl, it may not be for so long after all. Neither of us referred to the subject again that day. Neither did we try to make believe it being cheerful. We understood each other's silence and respected it. Outside, the rain poured. Will stood at the window looking out, but I am sure he did not see the rain. All these details passed before my mind like moving pictures. When at last I fell asleep— It was to dream the incongruous, disjointed stuff of which the actor's dreams are made—the sense of being late for a cue or hearing the cue spoken, to realize that one is but half dressed, or, again, to rush upon the scene only to find the lines obliterated from one's memory. When I awoke I heard Will in the kitchen. There was the smell of boiling coffee. For a moment there was no consciousness of my douloureuse, then memory swept me like an engulfing wave. I cried aloud— Then Will took me in his strong arms and kissed my swollen eyes, oh, so tenderly. To recall the moments preceding and following Will's departure causes, even at this late day, a tightening around the heart. There were some red roses in a cheap glass vase on the mantel. Will had bought them from a street vendor that morning, when he went out for the papers. He had pinned one in my dark hair. After many false starts and bidding me, "'Cheer up, it won't be for long,' he closed the door after him. It was our first separation. End of chapter 1